welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. Last week on January 15th, President Trump signed the phase one trade deal with China, a partial truce on the tariffs first implemented a year and a half ago. While this represents a step forward in trade relations between the two countries, ongoing tariff uncertainty will continue to impact industrial businesses ranging from small to medium businesses to Fortune 100 companies. To learn more about the tariffs and what they mean for industrial leaders, I spoke with Andrew Blasey Jr., who is a director at Crowell Mooring International. He's also a Washington, D.C.-based representative for International American Chambers of Commerce, engaging and negotiating with the U.S. Administration, Congress, and the international trade community. Andrew develops and manages large-scale global partnerships with a particular focus on regulatory policy and international government affairs. In today's episode, we'll discuss his advice for industrial businesses on how to handle these continued tariff impacts, how to adjust your export strategies, and what changes we can expect to see in both the short and long term. Andrew, so excited to have you on the podcast, and and thanks again for joining us. I've got to ask you, given your background and your expertise, and talk about rip from the headlines, I'm going to imagine that everybody from the barista at Starbucks to every cocktail party that you go to wants to ask you about the tariffs and what do they mean and what happens. Is this kind of your moment in the sun uh, in terms of the general populace being so aware of tariffs? I think you're quite right. The tariff situation at the moment really should have us all paying attention, regardless of our individual views on the instrument of tariffs itself, right? Globalization has been in very large measure over the past two decades, the result of nations around the world eliminating barriers to trade, including taxes on goods and services that cross borders, which in effect, Tony, is what tariffs are. So the return of tariff barriers is likely to have short and long-term consequences, many of which really remain unseen, which is why it's capturing the, the attention of so many, as you said, from the barista all the way to the corporate boardroom. So, and, and this is another important point too, even if you produce, source, or sell goods within one market, you know, you're not an international business, tariffs can have an impact on the economics of your particular sector, right? They can affect prices, they can affect demand. So in essence, the reintroduction of tariffs into our current ethosphere is one in which has everyone paying attention for any number of different reasons. Andrew, such a key point. We hear this all the time, particularly from perhaps smaller medium companies that say, oh, I don't have to worry about the tariffs because I'm only you know, sourcing in North America. And I think, not to paraphrase what you said, but that integrated impact, if you will, or even trickle down impact clearly is being felt. Certainly, the size and complexity of the two major economies that are involved in this is driving a lot of it. Is there a a subtext here or a subplot based on technology? I mean, if you look at the two phenomena of globalization and technology, they've obviously disrupted and forever changed a lot of different market dynamics. Is technology playing a role here in the way tariffs are now being implemented, or is it really not a driving factor? Technology is absolutely playing a role, not just in the trade relationship, but in the broader political relationship. I think it's important to understand the trade and technology aspects between the United States and China. We need to actually go back to the 1990s and early 2000s to look at 
where the U.S. and China were at that time and how the relationship has evolved since. If we think back to the late 1990s, we remember things like China's accession to the World Trade Organization, uh, the handover of Hong Kong from the United Kingdom to China, and as well as the United States granting what some of your listeners may have heard about PNTR, or Permanent Normal Trade Relations status, that the U.S. allotted to China. This was all at a time when both nations were looking to liberalize their trading mechanisms with one another, the goal being that it would create greater peace and prosperity uh, between both sides and between both entities. And we saw a significant, meaningful economic and commercial boom take place between the U.S. and China. You know, what's funny, Tony, is many people don't know this, despite an obviously rapidly increased U.S. trade deficit in goods between the U.S. and China, if you were to actually look at U.S.-China trade on a proportionate basis, meaning what was the deficit in terms of, you know, what was the proportionate relative between both societies, we've actually seen that number come down. Before China joined the WTO and permanent normal trade relations were granted, China was selling us $6 for every $1 we were selling to them. Today, when you add in services, right, where the U.S. has a significant trade surplus with China, it's now down to every $3 we send to China, they send us $1. So you can see that even though the deficit has grown, the reduction of that relative proportion is indicative of how substantial the bilateral relationship has really evolved. And so to come back to your question about technology, as we look to the future now, I think it goes without saying that a very large part or calculus into the reintroduction of tariffs into the U.S.-China trade relationship is very much aligned with the reality that the United States government has concerns about China's rapid technological development, especially in certain select industries. We are watching carefully in and around things like artificial intelligence and other things that are implicit in in your observation there. If you can, give a bird's eye view of how you think tariffs will impact industry as we head into the early part of 2020. In the short term, we see high risk for continued escalation tariffs, primarily between, as we said, the U.S. and China. But it goes without saying that that's not exclusively between the U.S. and China. And if they really haven't already, manufacturers should be planning accordingly. In such an uncertain environment, I would caution businesses to take a conservative view, particularly if your individual business or your broader sector has raw materials, intermediate goods, or finished products that are tied to U.S.-China trade. And going back to U.S.-China trade specifically, I'd like to cite the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai and their annual report that was released in September. And they noted that uncertainty is the primary concern that businesses have at the moment, which, Tony, I can imagine that's something that you're seeing in your work every day. It's all about the uncertainty aspect that surrounds uh, the, the current situation. But beyond that uncertainty, we're also seeing a slowdown in overall bilateral trade right between the two economies, so both U.S. imports as well as U.S. exports to China. We're also seeing um, bilateral investment declines and indications that American companies are investing less uh, in China than they have in the past. And overall, one statistic from this report that interested me the most was we're starting to see optimism significantly decelerate. So whereas the historical average is 80 to 90 percent of U.S. businesses viewing um, the China market favorably as, as a market of where they should be participating, either selling into the enormous middle class that exists in China 
or leveraging China's industrial capacity as a part of their supply chain and sourcing operation. We're now seeing that 80 to 90% historical optimism average now down to about 61%, which is the lowest percent uh, in recorded history, as I understand it, from their annual survey program. So that's sort of how we can look at the moment when it comes to tariff impact on industry as we head into t- to 2020. See if you can, Andrew, help us break it down by the impact on size of companies. So certainly larger suppliers, to an extent, can absorb the increased costs that can be associated with tariffs, or they can pass them off to their buyers. Smaller scale suppliers can't take that financial hit without more serious ramifications. How do you see this impacting the small to medium business manufacturing company over the long term? The implication of tariffs have already been, and I would say can become increasingly more profound for small and medium-sized manufacturers. In fact, many small manufacturers here in the U.S. have sought tariff exclusions on the basis that the tariff tax will do meaningful harm to their business or their employees, which is one of the criteria that's required in seeking such an exclusion from those tariffs. And if we take a broader perspective, I think the American people are becoming increasingly aware that international trade in goods and in services is not only an issue that impacts large and multinational companies, but practically every business. The negotiations in many ways has been a wake-up call for everyone, be it the employer, the employee, or the consumer. Unfortunately, I think we've already seen this manifest in the form of a technical recession in U.S. manufacturing with declining industrial production. Data over the past several months has also shown that U.S. manufacturers are bearing the brunt of tariffs relative to Chinese counterparts, which I know has been concerning to many here and across the United States. And, um, you know, there are some who've even reported that this could embolden the Chinese government in their own negotiations, you know, as it concerns current tariffs and more broadly, as you mentioned, Tony, some of the technology issues. I think as we look at especially small and medium sized businesses going forward, my concern is that over the long term, U.S. manufacturers will suffer market share loss, not just in China, but frankly elsewhere, given that these negotiations are not just impacting U.S. and Chinese businesses, but they impact the decisions that are made by many, many third parties, enterprises that are based all around the world. So, you know, one could say, and I think there's some evidence to suggest this is happening already, that the results of some tariffs are driving Chinese and other customers, right, to U.S. competitors based in Europe, Japan, Australia, Korea, and elsewhere. So really, all that to say, the longer that tariffs escalate, the longer it may take many U.S. manufacturers to regain market share once or if negotiations come to an end. Andrew, one area that we've been particularly interested in is the usage of renewable energy. And and we've certainly been tracking lifts in demand and interest in that sector. And as you know, it's the fastest growing energy source. It's increased over 60% over the last 15 years. We're seeing a significant series of sourcing trends associated with these materials and services, but goods associated with these renewable options, things like solar panels are being affected by the tariffs. What kind of an impact do you anticipate these tariffs will have specifically on the renewable energy sector, both short and long term? 
Tony, I would say tariffs are already having a significant impact on the renewable energy sector, and we would expect this to continue not only in the short term, but likely in the long term as well. If we look at solar, for example, we know that tariffs are offsetting many of the tax advantages that have been coming into play here in the U.S., with, and, you know, and that are obviously relative to adding new capacity. And while the tariffs have increased domestic production of, say, solar panels and solar industry-related materials, it's in you know my early assumption or estimation here that supply is likely not going to keep up relative to demand. And I think there's certain evidence to show that. But to your original question, Tony, on fast-growing energy source of, of renewable um, you know, energy products, which you're quite right to point out that it's grown so rapidly over the past two decades, this is one of those sectors where I believe it's not just about trade that's really going to impact things as we look ahead. You know, I think in this particular context, we could see the 2020 presidential election in the U.S. having just as much of a significant impact in terms of environmental policy development in the United States uh, as that election will obviously have implications on U.S. trade policy. So this is absolutely a space to watch and it will be multifaceted. It'll include trade dynamics and components, but it, it won't be exclusive to U.S. trade policy. How would you advise industrial businesses? So I think to pick up on the word of the day, uncertainty, and we oftentimes, as I'm speaking in the markets and get asked about this stuff, I use that exact statement of, you know, we're at a time where business is still pretty pretty good for a lot of these companies, but it is a moment of uncertainty. And I think there's, there's a lack of clarity about how uh, many of these things are going to play out. With that in mind, mm -hmm. what advice do you provide for industrial businesses to prepare and how to handle what it sounds like you believe could be kind of continued impact from the tariffs? If we assume, conservatively speaking, that tariffs are going to stay in place and possibly increase over the coming months, then there are several things that companies should take into account. This includes cost implications, not only on your sales, but also on your inputs of goods for you, as well as your entire industry. Again, some businesses may think they're more insulated than they actually are. So I think every manufacturer needs to be paying close attention. Beyond that, beyond the cost implications, the amount your business can absorb, right? So how much of that cost can be absorbed versus depending on your sector, what can be passed onwards to customers? Do alternatives exist, right? And to what extent does that impact your supply chain diversification, which we see many businesses having already undertaken significant assessment and in some cases action around supply chain diversification? And then also there's currency implications as well. We've seen the U.S. dollar increase in strength over the past many months relative to the Chinese yuan. Um, and so again, these are all different things to think about. We see very few U.S. businesses onshoring their operations from China. I think this is a really important point to note because it's something that is widely discussed in the current environment, right? And it's one thing that the president and many within the administration have made a fine point on. In fact, according to the American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai, only 6% of U.S. businesses are bringing jobs and operations back to the U.S. from China, which is about the same exact rate it was before the trade negotiations commenced. So, you know, the situation would have to change drastically, and not just with China, but with all other U.S. trading partners, I think, in order to see significant U.S. onshoring, right, of operations. So that as your listeners may be thinking about this dynamic, I think it's important they keep that in mind. And then lastly, since you mentioned technology, Tony, 
If any of your business is in a sensitive technology area, such as those covered in the Made in China 2025 initiative, so those sectors include electrical equipment, aerospace, information technology, medical equipment, new materials, farming machines, railway equipment, robotics, and even new energy and autonomous vehicles, that I would be particularly sensitive to heightened U.S.-China technology issues over the short and the long term. Um, this really does include things like active monitoring of foreign direct investment approaches and policies, as well as the export control space. Absolutely fascinating, Andrew. We could go on and on, and I, I want to thank you. Your expertise is incredibly powerful, and I know our listeners are really going to benefit by getting your insights. We got two more questions, and these are questions that we ask every guest that we have on the podcast. And the first one, Andrew, is what's one thing you wish more people understood about manufacturing? Great question, Tony. I would say that constant innovation is fundamental to a competitive manufacturing sector. While the public generally, I think, has an industrial revolution era outlook on manufacturing, even to this day, today it really is anything but. From space technology to advanced biotherapies, really manufacturing has and will continue to become increasingly sophisticated. And to be perfectly blunt, my view is that in order for the United States to maintain long-term competitiveness, we really should no longer view our economy as developed, but actually as developing. And I think with that change in outlook, we might continue to leapfrog in our own approach to such important areas to advance manufacturing, like workforce development, infrastructure investment, and process innovation. Yeah, beautifully said, Andrew, and I couldn't agree with you more. If you could put one sentence on a billboard that best expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? I would say that billboard would read, collaboration is key to 99% of the world's problems. And let me give you an explanation on that. I believe that there's a delusion that money and power get in the way of progress. I think it's generally misguided. In fact, what I really think is the challenge is that it's unaligned or misaligned incentive structures that result in a lack of collaboration. So that's our real challenge. And finding ways to increase collaboration within industry, between industries, within government and between governments is going to be really key to tackling many of our challenges in the future. To learn more about how to prepare your industrial business for the impacts of tariff uncertainty, check out the resources available on Thomas Insights linked in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Ephoff and produced by Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or recommend us to a colleague. Your feedback helps us continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is recorded at 5 Penn Plaza in the heart of New York City, where Thomas has been headquartered for 122 years. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.